So we are going to talk about how to think about knowing God, part two. How to think about knowing the Lord, part two. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words I speak would be only your words and that you would use me. Thank you for humbling me and thank you for bringing me to the ends where it's hard for me to trust in myself without um, feeling the conviction of your spirit. Lord, I want to grow to know you more. And I pray that all of us in here would be deeply encouraged by the words of Paul today to push on to know the Lord, to press on. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we talked about the supremacy of knowing God, how it's the greatest thing, and how this relationship with God, and it's not just about knowing who God is, like we know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, It's about knowing him intimately. You would know him if you walked into a room and observed his behavior. And how this relationship with God is to be more valued than anything in life. In fact, anything in life that distracts you or me from this relationship with God is supposed to be flushed down the toilet, is what we learned last week, wasn't it? (laughs) Thank you, BK, for bringing up my... Accidental joke. I did not mean that as an intentional joke, but it was funny. Um, And we learned that growing a relationship with God is about growing in trust and dependence and relying upon God and upon his promises. Let me repeat that because that was the main lesson of last week. We learned that growing a relationship with God is about growing in trust and dependence and relying upon him and his promises. And the biggest roadblock to all of this trusting relationship is self-sufficiency. When you don't think you need it. That's the biggest roadblock. And any thought that we don't need God or that we have it all under control or we only need to open up parts of our life to him or that we can just give him our best efforts, any of these thoughts will only hinder true knowing of God. He is our provider. He is the God of all grace. And he wants to give us stuff like a good father. Dave, do you want to give Ava gifts? Yeah. (laughs) You love to, right? She's your daughter. She's your little girl. And I saw this really funny thing on Facebook the other day. This dad was like, what it feels like to have daughters. And it's this little girl just throwing money out the window, just stacks of money. And it kind of probably, I don't have daughters, so... I don't know, but I could imagine if I had a girl. I was actually talking to the boys yesterday. If we had a daughter, she would be so spoiled. She'd have her own room, and it would just be throwing money. Like I, My heart for little girls is just like, oh, they're so cute. I want to buy them clothes. I want to do all this sweet stuff for them, take them on daddy dates and all this stuff. You're in big trouble, Dave. You better start making lots of money. God wants to give us gifts too because he actually feels that way about us. When he sees Ava sleeping on Dave's shoulder, he is like, I love that. I love when you let me crawl up or crawl, let, whatever, when you come crawl up in my arms and fall asleep and let me hold you. Our God loves that. He wants to be our provider. To know him as he wants to be known, requires humility, faith, and repentance, of course. But the biggest part is you just have to be okay being his child. Be okay letting him be your father. When we do this, we're rejecting our self-sufficiency, our our flesh-centered thoughts and actions. Like Peter Pan, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I could play with. I get these jingles in my head, and I don't know if you get it, but that was a big commercial when I was, anyway. Our Father wants us to relish being his child, to enjoy it. So last week we learned all of that, how to, to just be there and stay in that close relationship with God. And today we're going to learn how to press on to know the Lord. How to strive to know the Lord. Did you know there's a, there's a bad striving in the Bible and there's a good striving in the Bible? Let me briefly just differentiate that for you. Bad striving 
is self-serving. It is self-sourced. It is self-loving. And it is self-effort-based. Did you notice the key word? Self. So when we generally say, I'm trying to do this for God. I'm trying to do that. Most of the time, that means self-sourced effort, self-sufficiency. And that's why I've ingrained it into BK's head to say, stop trying. We, it's our joke we go between. But stop trying. There's a different way to strive. There's a different way. And the good way of striving is surrender-based. It is spirit-sourced. It is Jesus-loving, and it is others-serving. See, everything is outward-focused on the good striving. Everything is Jesus-centered, spirit-sourced. We're going to unpack that today. So let's go ahead and read our scriptures. Philippians 3, verses 10 through 14. That I may know him. What's the goal again? To know him. He had described all last week the importance, the greatness of knowing him. Now he's going to describe how we can do that, how we can grow in that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So you have one thing that's the most important, knowing God. And then you have three arenas where we get to know God. It's not four things listed. It's one thing listed, knowing God, with three ways that we get to know God. Let's continue. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is our goal? What is your goal? It is to know him and nothing else. And how? Paul gives us three ways. Number one, the power of of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and then being conformed to his death. These are three ways that we grow in knowing God or knowing Jesus. It reminds me of 2 Peter 3.18, the last verse that Peter ever wrote, and it said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. We're supposed to grow. You guys don't know everything about God and I don't know everything about God. So he gives us these three ways. Now, which one is your favorite? Right off the bat, power of resurrection, fellowship of sufferings, or being conformed to his death. Pretty easy choice, right? The power of his resurrection. That's always our favorite because to live with power, you know, is, 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 that's appealing to us. We want to experience and know God's power. In fact, there's whole churches that they are all focused on knowing the power of God. And so they grow. But again, this is only one-third of the avenues or arenas that God's given us to know God. But it's a very important one. So let's study it first. And then we'll move on to the others. I was dead in sin, weren't you? We were dead in sin. I was a prisoner to whatever my flesh wanted me to do. And then God brought a knowledge of the gospel to my heart, and I believed it, and I was given a new life. When I stopped trying to be alive through my own efforts and live my life, when I, stopped, when I just confessed my deadness and, and the sinfulness to the Lord, he responded with a free gift of new life and real life. And what is the world trying to tell everyone in the world? What's their advice? Live your life. Do what makes you happy. It doesn't work for knowing God, for true life. It doesn't work. 
I confessed that the cross was the way I should go. But God took my place on the cross, so I don't have to go there. I deserved the cross. And when I realized that and confessed it, he said, you don't have to go there anymore. He washed away my sins in the rivers of his own blood. So now I can have a new life. I couldn't even know about this new life before the cross. But now I am made a house for the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with a treasure of infinite value and power, the very life of Jesus. And not just the humble servant Jesus that we know and picture. I mean, it's, he's there. He's teaching me humility as I look on him. But it's also the Jesus that's revealed in his resurrection. The glorified, risen, powerful Jesus. The Jesus that rules and reigns the entire universe. And every person, angel, and demon is going to bow down to him. They will not be able to help themselves. His power that was on display when he rose from the dead, when he was bright and shining and limitless and amazing and undefeatable. It's a power that can overwhelm all challenges, and that's the power that God freely gave to me when I believed. Not to wield like a child with a loaded gun, but given to control me and to guide me, and and to empower me from the inside to do His will. To do His will. The power of the resurrection is a way to know God and to get to know God. In fact, you don't really know Him at all if you haven't experienced the very beginnings of this power in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit, He breaks the power and the chains of sin In your life, his spirit is more powerful than your addictions, than your sins, than your shortcomings, than everything you've done. And if you're struggling with sin in here today, there's a couple things you you might need to realize. Number one, you might need to get saved, which means you need to confess your sin and believe that Jesus is your sufficiency With all your heart, you need Jesus. Or you may already be saved, and you might not be sanctified. Which means you need to confess your sin and believe in Jesus, that he is your sufficiency from all your heart. And he will give you the grace you need to have victory. Did you notice that both situations have the same solution? Both of them. We don't outgrow our need for the gospel. You might think, are we ever going to learn anything different in church besides the gospel? No! That's all we will ever talk about. Because the depths of it are so amazing. It's so simple. Jesus, the real, powerful life of Jesus given to us is the gospel. And I need it, as I've been following Jesus for 25 years, I need it more today than I even realized yesterday. I need just his life. That's the gospel. You give me your horrible, broken life, I give you my perfect, sinless life. And you grow in connecting with my life. You grow in turning over surrender to my life, turning over control to my life in you. We call this resurrection life in in theology the resurrection life is available to us we all um, need a touch of the resurrection at certain points in our life when when we call upon his holy spirit and his risen life is given unto us his power and personality come to dwell and tabernacle in our hearts and we become his home, his body, his vehicle to spread the truth and his love throughout this world and to our own families. Do you know all that you need to know about this resurrection life? Could you take a test on it? No. Because it must be experienced. 
We can't just talk about being filled with Jesus. Through relational dependence and asking and receiving the Holy Spirit from God, we can experience this resurrection life. It's not, you can't learn enough about the Bible for God to say, oh, I will now give you my Holy Spirit. You passed the test. No, there is no test to receive the Holy Spirit. There is only asking and humbly receiving. And ask again and receive again and ask again and receive again. And if you think there's an end to that cycle, there's not. We don't outgrow our need to be dependent upon asking our Father for His Spirit. We must learn to ask more. Ask more believing. Ask for more. Ask more consistently. You cannot make up what this feels like. You can only taste and see that the Lord is good and powerful. And how many of you have experienced that day when sin lost its power? It is such a glorious day. And it's indescribable. I mean, people try to, Norm tries to talk about it. Oh, it was so, and he's just, and he's just, words are coming out. None of it makes any sense at all. And you're like, I know, buddy, I know. It's awesome. And that's what I pray happens for every single one of you, is that the moment you taste and see, you just call out to the Lord and he responds. But I'm not good. What if he doesn't respond to me? He will. The day you stop doubting, the day you, you believe with all your heart, total dependency, he gives grace to the humble. He gives it. It is his promise. We live on his promises. I was speaking with someone last week who saw their own weakness and they were surrendered, or they were scared, excuse me, to surrender to God completely. Because they didn't know. I mean, they were like, but, but if I surrender to God, I, I have these strong desires to sin and it's going to be so hard for me to stop. And I said, hey, you're talking about something you don't know. You're talking about something you have no right to speak on. How can you, as someone who's not filled with the Holy Spirit, tell me that it's hard to stop sinning? No, you don't know the power of the resurrection life that is offered and given to the one who surrenders to God. I said, don't talk to me about what's hard. I know the power. I know that you will be free when you surrender to him. So there is a power, and that is a, the first way that we really experience no God is just his freely given power into our life to overcome sin. Now let's go to the next one. Number two, the fellowship of his sufferings. I would call this a loving invitation to a deep relationship. A loving invitation to a deep relationship. It does not sound fun, does it? There is this broken and sinful world that we live in that causes sufferings. And sometimes we even contribute to our suffering sometimes. Sometimes it's not just the world hurting us, but we hurt ourselves because we were an idiot. And we did something that has consequences, right? But sometimes suffering just comes upon you. You get sick or you lose your job or some other type of suffering the, the, the suffering that we, we cause isn't this suffering that we're talking about right now. We're consequences for our actions. That's not the fellowship of Christ's suffering because Christ didn't suffer that way, did he? He didn't have any of his own consequences. He faced our consequences. He suffered for other people's sin, and, and he did it because it was the will of God. And it says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's a troubling verse, isn't it? We think, how could Jesus learn anything? He was God. So it's obviously not talking about acquiring new information, is it? He d it's not that he needed to know how to be obedient. Jesus knew how to be obedient. 
is that he was able to experience the full dimensions of obedience as he was tested and proved by suffering. Think of him when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was weeping, when he was bleeding from from his pores. Think of him when he was being beaten and, and being whipped and being nailed to the cross. It is in suffering that we are invited to be a son of God and a brother of Jesus. To, to have that relationship. It, it's in suffering that we find a new depth of connection. If life is about knowing God, which we've already established last week, then we must embrace and accept and even rejoice in suffering. It doesn't mean it's not suffering anymore. This doesn't change the definition of suffering, right? Jesus felt every nail. He felt every bit of pain. And God, that shows us God's desire is not to take the pain away. How many times do we pray that prayer? God, take this pain away. And his answer always, it seems to be, is no. Why? Why? Because he is lovingly inviting you into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And pain just happens to be the greatest tool to accomplish God's will and desire of relationship with you. That doesn't mean he's not merciful. Many times he does take away our pain when we ask. But rather... He is more interested in uh, that we can experience and know him in this deeper way through our pain. Maybe your marriage is your suffering. You know, there's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and then the suffering. That's how marriage sometimes goes. Not mine. Mine's perfect. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. I don't know what your suffering is. Maybe it's your brother's. Well, all of this is an invitation for God, from God, to, to know him in a deeper way. When you meet someone who suffered like you, there is this instantaneous special bond that you have with them. I know that, that when I meet someone that has been through the specific things that I've been through, I have an instant connection with them. I have a friend, Ryan, down in Colorado Springs, and we don't talk, like, all the time. And sometimes I think my wife is like, why are you friends with him? Because we don't have a ton in common. But we both went through a suffering that is kind of rare and kind of unique, and our connection is formed on this deep level. It's a fellowship of sufferings. And sometimes... Pain is the only way to know something about God. And God is willing to take us through it so that we can know that thing about him, know him in that special way. He refuses to let us wallow in a state of shallow, comfortable Christianity. Doesn't he? And a lot of times we wish he would just leave us alone. I was just fine in my life before all these horrible things happened. I was going to church, I was tithing, I was loving people, why in the world? What else do I need to do? What do I need to learn? And God's like, yes, it's because you're doing great that I'm going to take you deeper now. It's because you're doing good. You've been chosen. I don't choose the people who aren't seeking me to go into a deep relationship with me. I choose the people who are seeking me. You're like, well, then I'm going to stop seeking God. Okay. Go for it. See how that works for you. You will find you're unsatisfied with everything in your life. Your life will become shallow. All your relationships will be shallow. And you'll look back and be like, where did I go wrong? And God will say, remember when I invited you to seek me through the deepest pain you could ever imagine? Remember that? And you rejected me? What's been happening since then? What do you have of value? What do you have that's not being burned away by the fire or eaten by the worm? 
Nothing. And this process of suffering leads us to the third and final way that we know God. Being conformed to his death. Woohoo! It's one thing to suffer. It's another to die. This happens when we get to things that are absolutely impossible. When your challenges and suffering go so far beyond what you can handle. Our energy, our strength, our wisdom, even our faith is spent and done. And we're like, I am done. What do we say? This is killing me. Don't we? This is going to be the death of me. This battle is over my head. These circumstances, relationships, this heartache, this headache. We get to the point where we know that we're done. What is that about? I didn't do anything wrong, God. Why did you bring me here? Jesus didn't just suffer, right? He died. And this next arena that we're talking about now of getting to know him more is only found in death. This is the next school. This is graduate level Christianity. And so I hear someone who comes to me and says, I have entered into a process that is killing me. This is the worst thing I've ever been through. This is awful. I feel like dying. My pastoral heart says, wonderful. I know it hurts, but it will give you something that will never be taken away. It will accomplish things that could never have otherwise been accomplished. This is where he invites us to go deeper, six feet deeper. That was clever. I like that one. We can't match the death of Jesus. I'm not asking you all to go buy crosses, nail yourself to the cross. It's not what we're talking about. But we can taste it. We can participate in his death. Jesus was the lamb of God who submitted to being slaughtered in silence. When he was on the cross, what did he quote? What psalm? 22, right? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he was silent, and he expected us to go back and read it, and that's what we're going to do. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. We want to explore a little bit about what Jesus' death meant. So what, what this being conformed to the death of Jesus looks like. This is exactly what he told us it would be. We get a taste of this death when everything depends on the faithfulness of another. This is how we experience being conformed to his death, when you can literally not depend on anything except God. And even that seems like impossible, but you're just going to say, all I can do is trust God. You are experiencing right then death. Of yourself. Your self dependence, your self reliance is being nailed to the cross. And your spirit is saying, All I can do is trust in God. And he's saying, Finally, I have you. All of you. So we're just going to uh, go through a few of these verses. We'll read one and two. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? So this prayer is the prayer of one dying. But yet, he's not questioning God's goodness. His flesh is crying out a death plea. My God, my God, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime and you do not hear in the night season. I am not silent. Skip down to verse 5. They cried to you and were delivered. 
They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. To die, to be conformed to Jesus' death, means this is the prayer we pray. We say, God, I trusted you, and I'm hurting. Why? It's an invitation to have a conversation with God about that. I trusted in the Lord. Even other people say, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. I have told people, I'm trusting you, God. Why then are you taking me down this path that is horrible, that I hurt and I have pain? Why, God, why? Look at verse 11. He says, be not fear far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Where is the help for the man dying? There is none. Have you gotten to that place in your life where no man can help you? Where there is nothing anyone can do to relieve your pain? The only one you can do, cry out to, is God. Verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging, roaring lion. I am poured out like water. That's what death feels like. That's what being conformed to his death feels like. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. I remember that feeling when my heart literally hurt so bad I thought I was having a heart attack. But it was the heart melting inside me. And yet I was trusting God. Why would he take me through that? Why? My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Yeah, self-sufficiency dies. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed upon me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, let's see, let's see where this goes. Let's see what Je- where Jesus takes this. He says, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. See, Jesus, he still keeps his hope in God, the Father. He calls upon him and says, I am willing to die. Did God stop the crucifixion at this point and say, nope, 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 we're done, we're done. I can't bear to see him in any more pain. No, no. Because Jesus kept his eyes and his heart trusting in the Father and he trusted in what? Resurrection. He trusted that God would save him, that would give him life, would deliver him, would be that strong power, my strength, he says, that he would be saved. That was Jesus' hope. Down in verse 24 at the end, or verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. See, this describes that the avenue God took towards deeper relationship was suffering, was the affliction. He doesn't hide, he didn't despise the affliction. God loved it because it gave him an opportunity to respond to the cry. God wants to be there for you. He wants to respond. And then in verse 25, Jesus says, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Down in verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. So again, 
We get a taste of this death when we surrender to God's will and suffering and even death. When the only one we can trust is God. And the only one who even sees what we're going through is God. And we trust that he's going to deliver us and get us through at the right time. And it might be after our death. But he will come through. Sometimes we complain a lot when we're going through suffering and going through death. And then sometimes we want people to come and be there with us. And God says, no, this is not a time for you to engage with other people. This is a time for you and me to have a conversation, for you to call upon me. And I refuse to let you depend on other people. So it's going to seem to your mind and to your heart like everyone's abandoning you, like everyone's leaving you alone. And God's like, no, 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 they love you, they're there for you, but they can't do this. You must learn that it is only me and knowing me that can save you, that can bring life into your dry bones, that can bring life to your dead body. Jesus could have saved himself, right? But he submitted to the will of God and he trusted in the goodness of God. And this didn't mean an absence of pain. When we complain about our pain, it's a signal of our immaturity in the Lord. It doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not there. Jesus was thinking of others. He was serving others by giving his life. He was striving to know God through resurrection, suffering, and death. And this is exactly what we do. This is what we strive for. We are not excited about dying, but we're aware of the broken, humble, painful part of serving this world, of being used by God. 2 Corinthians 4.12 says, So death is working in us, but life in you. Death is working in us, but life in you. So we die like Jesus to bring life to other people. Why are you going through what you're going through? Eh, not really because of you. It's because God wants to use you to bless other people. This is the deepest level of knowing the Lord. This is the deepest level of serving the Lord. This is when knowing him and making him known becomes easy as well. How can you introduce someone to someone you have never met? You can't. So then, after we die, after we experience this third level, we start with resurrection life, being made alive again, then we start suffering, then we get conformed to his death, we get to the end of our hope. Where do you think the next step is? Back up to the top. And we start the whole process all over again. We thought we were dead. We thought it was the end. And God all of a sudden comes into our life and saves us and brings restoration and brings new life and new hope. And we start back at the beginning, experience this great victory. And then we start suffering again. And then we die again. And we go through this cycle over and over and over again. And we wait upon him for each next step and we grow in knowing him in a deeper and more real way. We are raised we suffer, we die. We are raised, we suffer, we die. Over and over. I did not expect my first death experience. I remember being so close to death that I longed for it. I could taste it. I remember that. But then his joy and grace came to me and raised me from the dead. And it's still, I remember it as the most powerful time in my spiritual life. And, and that cycle has repeated. And there's been many death experiences that I've experienced. And I think you guys have gone through this cycle a few times as well yourself. And I remember one of those death experiences very kind of recently, a couple of years ago, when I was uh, fired from my job at a lighting company. And that was like the nail, the last nail in my self-sufficient heart. And I remember calling my wife to tell her, hey, are you sitting down? And I had the biggest smile on my face. And it wasn't weird. I wasn't happy I got fired. But I was so full of life because I was dead. And the only life left was whatever Jesus poured into me. 
And I said, are you sitting down? This is going to be good. I know it's going to sound crazy, but it's going to be good. I got fired today. And she's like, what? <laughs> it was crazy. But from that day forward, I, she can bear witness. I did not worry. For the next couple months, looking for a job, whatever, I was fine. I was fine. And because I, I was dead and yet alive. Already, but not yet. It was, it was a crazy time. And not too much longer after that, the Lord set me as a pastor over at Calvary Aurora, and it was just wonderful. And everything we've been going through soon since then has been these cycles of resurrection power, then suffering, then death, then being raised again by God's love and his grace. And look at verse 10 now. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does he mean there in verse 11 when he says, by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead? Paul is somehow reaching for something right now. What is it? It sounds, when we first read it in English, like he's talking about the end times, when that, that somehow he needs to work hard in order to prove himself to God that he'll get saved at the end. And that is not right. That's not right doctrine. We are saved when we believe now, right? So that can't be what he's talking about. So what he is talking about is resurrected living. What I just described that I've been living is resurrected living, a resurrection life. He is not talking about end times. He's talking about now. He wants resurrection life in the middle of a dead world. This world is dead. There's so much death around us. He wants to be alive in the middle of this dead world. He wants Jesus to live through his body in the middle of this dead world in the presence of all the dead and dying people. He wants to... And he knows that it's through knowing the Lord and this resurrection life that this happens. You remember Galatians 2.20? We've looked at it many times, but he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, I'm not done yet. I don't have enough relationship yet. Could you imagine a good marriage that said, I think I know you enough. I'm done. See ya. We're done. We're done here. Because you got to know them good enough? No, that's impossible. It is impossible. He says in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. What is he striving for? Knowing the Lord. What are the three ways? Resurrection power, suffering, and death. That's what he strives into. He says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul is the Christian leader of the Christian world. He's the Christian Superman. He's been following the Lord for like 25, 30 years at this point. But he says he wants to press on to know him more. He is striving to know him more. And he has been through the cycle of these three, three things over and over and over. But what does he say? I just want more. I want more of them. You can't tell me what you know. Excuse me. You can't tell me what you do for the Lord. I don't want to know what you do for the Lord. Tell me about your suffering and dying and resurrection. That is relationship-centered. That is what we're going for. Tell me how much you praise God because of his goodness and grace given to you in knowing him through resurrection power, suffering, and death. On, their, on the road to Damascus, Jesus laid hold of Paul, didn't he? He laid hands on that brother. Before that, Paul boasted in his actions. After that, in the sufferings. He experienced. In the deaths, he died. In the resurrection power, he was given. Before, in the life he built for himself. After, in the life that had been given to him by Jesus. Jesus laid hold of Paul for relationship. Paul wanted more of that relationship. 
He wanted to continue to answer the call of Jesus, which is what? Come, follow me. Come, follow me. So we had this single focus, and we see it in verse 13. A single focus. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, only one, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. One thing, Paul? But Paul, you did lots of things. You planted churches, you went on mission trips, you preached all the time, you wrote the Bible. What do you mean one thing, Paul? And Paul's like, no. All of those things, all the suffering, all the beatings, all the shipwrecks, it's one thing. It's knowing the Lord. Growing to know the Lord and helping others to know the Lord. That's it. Everything else we do are just different arenas where we strive to know the Lord. So your marriage, what's it all about? Not you being happy. It's about knowing the Lord. What are you going to experience? You're going to experience weakness, selfishness, repentance, restoration, forgiveness, unity, joy, suffering, death. And you're going to find through all of it to live as Christ and to die as gain. So we can, we can understand that when it comes to marriage, but what about our job? Oh, I'm just, if I'm not happy in my job, I'm going to do something about it. Maybe that's not. Maybe it's about knowing God through your job. Now, God can bring your time to a job to an end. I'm not saying God's saying always stay at your horrible job, but maybe God is using it. Well, what about, what about my children? What about parenting? What about my hobbies and having fun? All of it needs to be about knowing God and making him known. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. So the kingdom of God develops in two directions. Upward and forward. Man's way and man's kingdom, humanistic psychology, always looks inward and backward. Tell me about yourself. Tell me what's been going on. They think the answers are inward. And pretty soon you're going backward in your life. We serve a God of resurrection, a God of new creations, of new life, and it can't be explained by looking in or looking back. Following Christ and looking back is like going to a graveyard to look for life. You're not going to find it. God, why did I go through so many things? That's not where your life is at. God, why did these people do so many things to me? That's not what it's about. That's not where life is. I agree, Ava. <laughs> the Lord is always forward and upward. We pay people to sit on their couch and, and look back. We don't have to. Paul excuse me, past defeats do not prevent present progress in the Lord. You don't need to deal with what happened in the past. Move forward with the Lord. Past blessings do not guarantee present progress either. You've got to keep pressing on to know the Lord. We must take steps each day to reach out to Jesus. That's the striving that's acceptable, biblically. The next church service, what's going to happen? The next time we read the word, the next conversation, the next prayer, we walk one step after the next, after the next in faith. We grow in grace. We reach out for more and more and more. Verse 14, I press, press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm eager, I'm hungry, I press. This is not a fleshly, religious striving. There's no confidence in the flesh here. It's a person he's pursuing. So instead of being a goal, if, oh, if I accomplish these things, God will do this for me. No, none of that. It's a person I reach forward to know Jesus. And if I know him, it will be through power and suffering and death. Only those three ways. The goal is already stated to know Jesus. And the prize that we get when we know him is amazing. 
We get provision for everything we need. We get abilities that are supernatural gifts. We get joy. What's this upward call? Heaven's call is to come and get to know me. God's loving invitation, come and follow me. That was the call of Jesus to each one of his disciples. Not clean yourself up first. Not let's deal with your past, bro. Get in the word. Connect with the word. Walk with the word. Let him speak to you and respond to it. Call out to him for his promises. Knowing God is our one aim. We have one goal, one pursuit. We press on to know Jesus more every single day through resurrection power, suffering, and death. We seek these things because they are the dates we go on with Jesus. He wants to date you. He wants you to get to know him. And his way works. That's all you can say about it. It works. Some people think you can follow Jesus and still live a comfortable life, still do what you want to do, and they don't know God the way that we know him. Right? Some of these dates are fun. Some of these dates are dangerous. Some of them are difficult, and some of them end in my death. But we do it all with Jesus, holding our hand, guiding us through our only aim is to do life with Jesus. I know some of your dates are were horrific. We could probably all tell stories of horrible dates. But we'll spare you the time because it's been a very long service. Would you guys stand with me? You have suffered well through our service today. <laughs> and you know the Lord more. <laughs> we're not going to end with a song today because we... Did them all up at the beginning. We've already done our communion. But we're going to spend a moment to just praise God. Father, we are sorry that we have shrunk back from trials. From knowing you deeper. And I pray that in our trials, Lord, that you would come and gently inquire and ask us again, would you please come and follow me? I will take you deeper. And I pray you would put it in our hearts to respond and say, yes, I will love my enemies. Yes, I will forgive and I will go with you. Yes, I will allow my flesh and its self-sufficiency to die so that I may know you deeper, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would work this heart in all of, our, all of our precious saints here. I pray you would give us the strength and courage we need to face our trials with faith and rejoice in our sufferings. God, you have been very good to us. Thank you for wanting to take us deeper even when it hurts. And we will praise your name. We will be your people no matter what happens to us. No matter who our president is. No matter what happens at our jobs or who hates us or who treats us poorly, we will be love. We will not treat people the way they treat us. We will follow you and you alone so that we may taste of your life. You are better than 10,000 of anything else. Jesus, you are our God. You are our Savior and you are our bridegroom. We are your bride. Thank you for pursuing us. All God's people said, Amen.